from FingerLakes1.com and presented by FL1 Radio, this is Inside the FLX. Today, we're doing our part to continue an open and honest discussion about mental health, substance use disorders, and much more in the public health realm. That's That's because the CDC reported last year that suicide rates had dramatically increased in the last two decades. My guest this hour has plenty of experience with that and that fight. Margaret Morris, Director of Community Services for Seneca County. My conversation with her is an eye-opener, and it's one that I hope you will stick around for. We talked about progress made in recent years locally and regionally, changes to services and methods by which services are delivered, and so much more. Without further ado, my conversation with Margaret Morris. So, Margaret, thanks for coming in today. Uh, Obviously, a lot to talk about the issues, uh, mental health, substance abuse, big, broad, challenging issues. I guess let's start uh, with with something pretty easy to sort of get this conversation going. Um, Where do we stand now in this uh, this fight? Mental health awareness, substance abuse um, versus where we stood five years ago. Okay. So I think... um, Seneca County uh, has really made a lot of headway in that area with uh, the development of the Suicide Prevention Coalition as well as the enhancement to our uh, Substance Abuse Coalition. We've really created, I think, I hope, a lot more awareness uh, about the issues in our community. since I came on in uh, just two years ago, my anniversary was thir- 31st of January. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I think we've done a lot of really good work. We've, um, I think, brought this issue to uh, the Board of Supervisors in a way to better help them understand and engage with us in uh, how vital and crucial these concerns are for our community. The mental health department for Seneca County has experienced a huge amount of support from our board, and um, you know we're just really appreciative in terms of funding and staffing, uh, really allowing us to bring in all of the services necessary to support our community. So I do think we've made um, some headway. Unfortunately, despite all of our headway, we continue to see spikes. Uh, in our statistics, um, more specifically to humanize this, it's not statistics, we're losing people um, yeah. all the time to suicide and to opioid overdose. Uh, so we have a lot of work, we have a lot of work to do. So uh, obviously we were talking before we came on, this is sort of a, a regional a regional issue that, that people are starting to tackle in a more regional way. People, counties working together, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the news that Finger Lakes Health was requesting uh, the state's permission to to shut down a unit down in Penyan obviously raised some concerns across the region. Uh, you had said a couple weeks ago that it wouldn't, it shouldn't have any impact on what is going on here in Seneca County or what services look like here in Seneca County, correct? Correct. I, I mean, we're... W- their closure isn't going to impact all of the work that we're doing to meet the needs of our community. We're, we're sad to see that unit closing. Um, I was surprised to learn that uh, over the last two years, consistently we've had 30 or more people in there uh, for inpatient services. That was really surprising to me. Um, 
so we we do utilize that service um, and we always need beds so it is mm -hmm. disappointing however um, the reality of our current uh, behavioral health world is that uh, inpatient services uh, are not uh, necessarily always being supported by funding and, and insurance. Um, we need to be looking at more creative ways of treating people and keeping them in the community. And that's something that um, because of how rural we are and we don't have our own hospital in our community, Seneca County Mental Health Department has had to be uh, and Seneca County in general has had to be incredibly creative about how to serve people with limited resources and without inpatient resources. So we really were, uh, or inpatient resources within our county. Uh, we have been working diligently to develop lots of services that assist us in helping to keep people uh, in the community and out of hospitals. So we will just continue to do that. So obviously, um, one of the most common responses when we hear this debate or this discussion start to happen is, well, why aren't there more beds? That's the question. That's the natural question. Um, unpack that a little bit. And, and why is it not quite as simple as just more beds would be great, um, but that's not solely the answer. There, it's it. I, what I would imagine to be a multi-pronged approach that's really necessary to tackle these issues. Sure. So, I mean, uh, you always, when someone is um, really being challenged by whether it's a substance use disorder or uh, mental health disorder, families, communities, um, it's really scary and frightening and you know, we sometimes think the answer is, well, if we can just put them in the hospital where they're mm -hmm. contained and safe, um, you know, that's going to fix them. And then, you know, please take them and fix them and then release them when they're safe. And, and I get that, you know, I really get that. And I, you know, at times, and at times, of course, we can never, we don't fix people. That's, you know, I'm right. sort of being glib, but um, I can understand that, that, desire to just want your loved one um, or your patient safe. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is that there's very uh, specific criteria uh, that you have to meet for people to be hospitalized. And um, that can be frustrating. However, it's the reality. Um, you, you always want to and strive to treat people at the least restrictive level of care. And when you're hospitalizing someone against their will, I mean, that's a, it's a civil rights issue, you right. know, and, and people don't always kind of think of it in that terms. You are, uh, you know, you're challenging someone's right to be in the community. That's a serious thing. So uh, when people get, you know, sent to hospitals and then released and people are often surprised, um, it's not so easy to, to have people admitted into the hospital, and, 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 and rightly so in many cases. Mm -hmm. So again, what we do is we really need to um, be creative and uh, about how we wrap services around people in the community so that they can stay in their homes and uh, get treatment in outpatient 
settings. Uh, there's lots of home and community-based service opportunities for people as well, in-home services, uh, care management, case management, things that help to keep people safe and um, living quality lives in the community. So we do try to keep people out of the hospital you know, whenever we can. Sometimes it's absolutely necessary. And then it can be sometimes challenging to find beds, particularly for children. That mm -hmm. is the, the, probably the, the most challenging is trying to find uh, beds for children. And they, they you know, continue, the state continues to close children's beds all over the state. So you you talking about that uh, basically tripped off a few different memories that I've had in the, in the conversations that I've had with folks, uh, particularly older folks, uh, in the last six or so months. Uh, they they flash back. The flashpoint seems to be locally when Willard closed. Yeah. Um, and obviously we're talking decades ago now. <laughs> um, but folks still seem to flash back to that point, and they say that's where it began, when mm. places like Willard were closed. And it seems like what you're saying is the, the opposite, is that we have we can do it better now. We, we need to find the least invasive way to bring services to people if we're really going to tackle this problem because not everybody can be thrown in a bed in a hospital and mm -hmm. locked up. That's right. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, we have to be more creative about how to meet people, meet people's needs in the community. It is... It is the right thing to do everything possible to try to treat people in the least restrictive level of care. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I really get it. it. It can be very frightening and you're a family member and you don't know what to do and you just think if you could just get someone to you know, be in the hospital that they'll be kept safe. But um, you know, it really isn't necessarily appropriate. And, and how much of the, the care aspect isn't just um, caring for the, the folks who are suffering from the, the mental illness themselves, but also uh, the family members and the friends and the community around them so that they really understand uh, the facts about what that particular illness is that they're encountering and aren't sort of led down the path of some assumptions or maybe some stereotypes of different mental illnesses and yeah. that sort of thing. I think it's huge. I mean, some of the most, for people with uh, severe and persistent mental illnesses such as um, schizophrenia and other uh, illnesses that are, for lack of a better word, apparent. Um, you know, people are actively symptomatic and you can kind of tell from looking at them that there's something different about them. Um, and not even for just people with those levels of disorders, people with anxiety and depression and, um, and, and then people with severe substance use disorders. The social symptoms that they experience, I think, are often the most debilitating. And research shows that, that they are. Their inability um, to engage in community and connection uh, is one of the most disabling things that they experience, and they'll tell you that. Um, so I think that that's a huge, that's huge. And I think stigma plays a role in that. I think. Um, in some cases, you know, lack of resources plays a role in that. Um, the culture is changing. The treatment culture is, is changing to understand that we must take a holistic approach 
to treating people, that this is not about giving people medications alone, although that's very important and evidence-based for opioid use disorder and, and other disorders. Um, but you have to treat the whole person. These are biopsychosocial diseases, and uh, if people are, do not have adequate housing, um, opportunities for employment, communities that care for and support them and don't marginalize them, uh, they those are significant barriers to their recovery. So yeah, I mean, in terms of stigma and our community's uh, opportunity to uh, support and assist in the recovery of those with disabilities, everyone plays a role. Uh, gaining awareness and understanding to decrease your own prejudices and predisposed ideas about people with these illnesses. That's everyone's obligation. Sounds like you're saying we all need a little uh, rehab to really actually understand what, what's going on here. Um, before we jump into um, the, the data and the underreporting and that sort of thing, you mentioned something a few minutes ago that I want to uh, dive into a little more. Uh, creativity of services in terms of bringing services to folks rather than making folks come to services. Transportation, um, of course, in Seneca County and a lot of rural places in the Finger Lakes is a huge issue. Yeah. Um, is that sort of the, the one or two biggest hurdles that, that this issue really has in front of it if it's going to be cleared or if we're really going to make some progress, transportation and housing, those kinds of the, the yeah. pillars of the problem? I do think that they are, you know, it's it's that Maslow's hierarchy of need, right? So, you know, you have, you if people's basic needs aren't being met, so that's housing, food, you know, then, you know, nothing else can happen in a right. way that's really effective or very or very little that's going to have any sort of sustain sustainability. Um, we're lucky enough in Seneca County, and when I came here two years ago, from another, you know, and having worked with many other providers professionally, um, transportation, childcare, these were always things that were significantly issues in our community, and I assume a lot across many rural communities. I was amazed. Um, I mean, we about we have a we have transportation services. Um, out of Seneca County Mental Health Department, and it, it's, it makes a huge difference. Um, we have drivers who deploy and pick people up and bring them to all of their services if necessary. Um, our goal is always to work with people to help. Uh, I mean, self-efficacy is essential to recovery, so helping people to gain knowledge of what resources there are in our community t for transportation, Etc. But um, for some people, as you say, out in even more of you know the southern uh, part of our county, and uh, transportation is a huge barrier. Um, but we attempt to reduce those barriers by uh, going and, and getting people, um, bringing them to and from their appointments. Uh, you know, mass transit opportunities, Medicaid transport. It's great that those things are available to people, but sometimes it can take someone all day. You know, they come in in the morning for an appointment and they're not gonna get picked up until the afternoon. You know, we want people to be employed and, uh, you know, to 
to be accomplishing uh, things in their lives to help them be self-sufficient. How many employers are going to be okay with, you know, you got three groups a week, let's say, or you, you have, you know, a number of services a week that are required that level of intensity to truly, uh, you know, have the wraparound, to stay out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, you need to be here in this side of the county um, all day long in right. order to access that transportation. So, you know, I gave you a long answer, but the, the short of it is it's absolutely a barrier. However, um, you know, the mental health department, um, I think it currently does uh, provide the service to decrease that barrier significantly because yeah. we are offering transport. And to that end, um, what you guys are doing up there in, in Waterloo and throughout Seneca County is really incredible um, in terms of what's changed because you guys have seen a lot of changes in terms of the yeah. services you guys are offering and how you're offering them, um, especially on the delivery side. Uh, what's changed in the last couple of years and how much of a game changer is that for you guys as you move forward? Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it's we have... <laughs> incredible changes um, you know my, the staff our teams are fantastic but you know sometimes I think oh gosh how much more change can I bring to them right. <laughs> because it's a you know it's it's a lot of change for staff who are used to for many years doing things a certain way uh -huh. so um, since I came two years ago um, both of our clinics have become uh, open access walk-in uh, services um, for intakes it's always been anyone who comes in crisis can be seen immediately regardless and that's always been the case we always have uh, uh, we one of our clinicians is on crisis rotation every day so um, that's never been an issue however uh, people would have to wait for appointments you know people would uh, to for intakes for evaluations to get into services that's no longer the case we are open access throughout the day for all of our services uh, we also have uh, we had a waiting list or a waiting period for medications for psychiatry when I came um, and I was able to hire a full-time psychiatrist uh, so those waiting times were significantly reduced um, we continue to bring in providers and pres new prescribers and reach out to try to again open up that access uh, we also have become what's called an uh, integrated operating service. So when I came, um, and up until just maybe six or seven months ago, if you came to Seneca County uh, Community Counseling Center for an addiction issue, you would go through one door, have one evaluation, have all of your services through that clinic, the addictions clinic, and if you had a mental health uh, disorder or mental health concern, you would go through the mental health door and have an evaluation and have your services there. We, Our full-time psychiatrist actually would go back and forth to the different sides of the building because we had to keep these things separate from each other. Um, and we had many patients who, uh, or clients, community members, who were getting both services, but these were siloed from each other, um, which creates all sorts of coordination of care issues. Um, so now we are, uh, we, we applied to the state to become an integrated operating service. Uh, we have, we're working towards ramping that up so it's fully realized. 
with a new electronic health record that we hope to be live with May 1st, which will allow us to have the functionality of one record. Um, and so essentially there's one door to service now. You come in, you can have an evaluation, or this is the goal. We still, I should clarify, we're still because of some of the barriers with our uh, building and with our uh, record still have some functionality with that we're not quite fully integrated but the goal is um, within this year to be fully integrated which me would mean truly one door to service you come in you have an evaluation depending on your needs you then essentially get to choose from a menu of services mm -hmm. to address your needs whether they be substance use disorder mental health or a combination of both and we know that 68 percent of the patients who come through our door in our addictions section alone um, have a co-occurring disorder. So most of our patients um, have co-occurring, you know, more than half of our patients have a co-occurring disorder. So would really benefit from just being able to gain all, access to all of their services through one door. Mm -hmm. It'll save them money um, because they won't have to have separate evaluations might that also just encourage more folks to actually if they if they think or they're on the fence or they might just want a little more information to learn sure. about what is going on um, might just encourage more engagement right I think it I think it absolutely will um, you know that's that's certainly our hope um, that you know one-stop shopping you know if you're just in through one door and you have this opportunity of this menu of services uh, that hopefully we can engage more people to uh, to accept services that uh, are needed because the reality is if you're not addressing both of those disorders concurrently you're you, it's that that reduces you know the effectiveness of treatment so the the couple quick statistical questions here before we jump into some other topics um, how many folks, like roughly, do you see? Do you guys see in the clinic see uh, throughout the course of one year? So, gosh, I'm trying to think. I actually did these statistics recently. We have between our two clinics probably uh, 1,200 people active in service. In our mental health clinic alone, in 2018, we provided close to 13,000 mental health outpatient services and close to um, 8,000 addiction services so yeah and the reason why I wanted to ask that question is because of this question how many folks uh, are working with those people every single day how many how many employees are, are actually working yeah. within the clinic so we have um, about 50 employees um, and that's not including our drop-in center staff and and so just clinic mm -hmm. staff and that's uh, everything from clinicians to case managers to um, support staff because everybody plays a role in 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 it so uh, one as important as the other doctors managers and that's not a lot of people you're talking about a few essentially a few dozen people touching yeah. that many lives in the course of a year I mean that yeah. seems like a, a, an intense yeah. uh, testament to what you guys are doing over there yeah thank you um, yeah we're pretty proud one of the things um, 
that's newer that, you know, we really are trying to, as part of this integrated clinic model, it really is about moving the culture of the work that we do towards uh, really holistic care and looking at, at our patients holistically, understanding that this is not just about mental health or substance use disorder symptoms. This is about looking at the whole person, their physical health, their mental health, their substance use disorder, their housing, their vocational issues, their social issues, their family issues, just everything that is uh, necessary to really support people in long-term sustained recovery from whatever their illness is. Um, one of the things that we've done, um, which I think you know about, others may not, is that we've partnered with the New York Chiropractic College uh, for provision of free acupuncture and chiropractic services to our patients. And we're just super excited. This started um, on the 29th of January. People are, you know, loving it. Our, the, chiropract the, the, chiropractic, the chiropractor's schedules are full. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, additionally, we have also uh, added this past year um, some addition, some uh, more holistic approaches um, within the clinic itself, such as mindfulness groups, yoga, 12-step recovery groups, um, and sending staff to trainings uh, surrounding mindfulness techniques to utilize with our patients. We know that these are evidence-based practices. Uh, they're pretty progressive. Little old Seneca County doing yoga, you know, <laughs> is pretty awesome. Um, the chiropractic college partnership is just incredible. Our, we we're, we've been working with the state, the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services, for quite some time now. We're still waiting for our approval. We suspect we're going to get it, but we've been. Uh, I I you know I'm strongly confident that we will receive approval from the state, but we've been going back and forth with our policies with their medical department. But um, we will hope to, in the next few months, uh, begin our um, ancillary withdrawal services. And um, what this is essentially is giving people the opportunity, even prior to engaging in full-blown substance use disorder or mental health treatment, an opportunity to sort of fast track to medication-assisted treatments to manage withdrawal from opioids or alcohol um, and uh, in, in sort of an intensive way without having to go into an inpatient detox setting. So we're, we're super excited about that. Our goal is to, and you know, this certainly may take us some time to realize, but our goal is to have treatment seven days a week available to our patients. We have moved to six days a week treatment, which is again a newer, uh, something newer that has happened over the last two years. We do offer services now on Saturdays, including uh, nursing services. So it's our goal to have medication services also available to our patients seven days a week. So we'll see what the year brings, but uh, 
that's our vision. So let's get a little bit into the, the numbers here. Um, what, what do the numbers say or show? What is the story that they're telling about the, the not just the, the mental health aspect of it, but also the substance use disorder uh, aspect of it too? Because of course, as you've pointed out, there's plenty of overlap um, yeah. there too. So I can just run through some yeah, statistics. Yeah, let's just run through the numbers and we'll talk yeah, about them. Yeah, and we can, we can kind of talk about them. I think I want to sort of throw out a disclaimer that uh, this is not unique to Seneca County particularly. Right. However, I think for rural counties in general, statistical uh, coll collection, accurate collection of statistics uh, is a challenge. So I can say with certainty that these numbers are... Um, are, are not the accurate number in terms of right. uh, what we're seeing in our community. We hear from our patients about people dying of overdose or overdosing and going to the hospital. We hear about it regularly. We hear about it from other providers. Um, however, somehow those numbers don't get reflected in Department of Health quarterly statistics, and that's a problem for us, but we are working on a solution I can talk to you about later. But what, what we're seeing right now is we did have um, in uh, 2018 uh, eight uh, reported uh, overdose deaths. Um, again, we know it's more. Uh, and we had uh, five reported suicide deaths. One was not a Seneca County resident, um, but died in our county. Right. So these are really staggering statistics for a county of our size. Right. Um, one death is staggering for families. You know, I don't want to minimize that, but higher level perspective for a county of our size to have that number of losses is truly devastating if this were not if this issue were not as um, severe as it is now uh, what would that number look like would that be like a zero or one on a fairly regular basis and if it were really a, a, a non-issue if it were something that weren't as severe as it obviously is um, not just in Seneca County, like you said, but across a lot of rural counties like Seneca. Mm -hmm. I can't answer the question what it would be if it were not a problem. What I can say is what our goal is, mm -hmm. which is zero. That is our goal. Um, that may be um, that may be a difficult to achieve goal, but that doesn't mean that we should be striving for zero zero deaths, zero overdoses, zero suicides. That's what we, that, that should be the value that our community has towards all of these public health um, issues because they, these are public health issues. Um, and so just like we strive for, you know, zero polio, <laughs> right? <laughs> and have achieved that, right? We should be striving for, um, for the number zero. And as far as execution goes and, and actually getting to that to that uh, that goal, um, obviously every day is a step forward and sort of taking the baby step approach, working, working the way there. Um, is there a, a, a 
end-all timeline of when it seems reasonable, given what we know now? Is it reasonable now to say that within 10 or 15 years we could effectively make this a non-issue, given how much information is out there, given mm -hmm. what people know and what they can learn if they just take a little time to learn? Mm -hmm. um, is this something that can, can be beat? I think that we, so how we define beat, right, is, right, is, the, is the key. I think that we can make significant headway, absolutely, in the next 10 years. Um, these are, you know, there is no cure <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for these diseases. Um, but we can and must do a better job at helping people uh, manage their diseases better. And that has everything to do with creating communities uh, that support its members. Um, Maslow's hierarchy from the bottom up, adequate, safe housing opportunities for employment, um, opportunities for good treatment. And, and does, that, does that sort of uh, lift the point that you made earlier about treatment has to be a, a more holistic, complete um, effort and not just here's a medication schedule, follow this medication no, right. schedule and you'll feel better in 30 days. It, it isn't that simple. So that approach just, it, you know, throwing folks in a facility and throwing mm -hmm. away the key mm -hmm. and putting them on a medication schedule is not the answer. It wasn't the answer 35 years ago, no. but people didn't know any better. We know better now, right? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. That is not the answer. That's not to say that inpatient care is not a necessity. Um, and that we shouldn't be accessing it or have access to it when needed because this, just like any disease, you know, for the most part, we can treat people not in a hospital for heart disease, right? right. But then sometimes people have heart attacks and yeah. have to go in the hospital. So this, these are diseases, these are illnesses, these are, these are health problems like anything. Um, they've been stigmatized and people with these health problems have been marginalized in ways. Funding it has been different for these sorts of illnesses. Insurance coverage has been different until we had parity laws. We still, um, you know, struggle with truly realizing parity for mental health and substance use disorder um, in terms of insurance coverage. But um, these, are, these are illnesses like any other illness. And, um, just like we are trying to reduce hospitalizations across the board for all illnesses by creating uh, and being creative about how we treat uh, people's illnesses in their communities, prevention services, um, huge. Um, you know, we, we have to and we are here in Seneca County and I think across New York State with the support of our state agencies uh, beginning to you know, address these issues more creatively so that we can keep people out of hospitals. But we need those levels of care. It, 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 basic access. There has to be basic access across the board. Um, obviously, something that we've talked about a little bit before is Seneca County does not have a hospital. It's one of the few counties in the state, I believe, uh, something like five or six counties in the mm -hmm. whole state that don't have a hospital. Um, 
how how problematic is that in terms of really being able to tackle this problem full force? Well, it's definitely an issue for us. Luckily, um, we've been able to work really closely with Finger Lakes Health. We have an excellent relationship with them. I can't say enough about their emergency room team and their leadership. Uh, they've work, they're working really, really well with us. I reached out oh, over a year ago um, to their leadership about partnership with uh, our, uh, our programs, particularly around addiction. And uh, that partnership has been spectacular and uh, continues to grow and develop. So the, the where I want to sort of take this for the last couple minutes is on in, in terms of suicide prevention um, and in terms of because that seems to be where the main dialogue is in terms of mental health awareness. Um, where do we stand now versus where we stood a few years ago and are we making solid progress not just in Seneca County but regionally what you're seeing within the within this realm making progress? Yeah, I think we definitely are. Um, specifically, and then we can speak regionally, specifically in Seneca County, we have a suicide prevention coalition that's just, you know, a little over a year old, really, um, with incredible momentum. Um, we, we need more people on that coalition. That's one of the struggles that we have. I think as anyone who leads committees or works in, 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 uh, on committees and, and coalitions, can attest to it's not specific to that is trying to gain community membership but um, you know that's been huge we had our out of the darkness walk we raised a lot of money for the effort many of those resources coming back into our community for education we've had talk saves lives um, trainings throughout our community uh, we've brought mental health first aid uh, trainings into our community free of charge um, so there's been just a ton that's happened uh, around suicide prevention in general uh, locally and regionally um, there's been a lot of money at the state level um, pushed into this lots of incredible you know the uh, the uh, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, has really pushed into our region in a huge way, offered all sorts of fiscal support for um, and resources. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think it's making a difference. We need to do more. Right, right. Now, uh, sort of the, the last, to end on a positive note here, one thing um, that you've seen in the last year, last couple of years, that really makes you optimistic about the direction uh, that not just Seneca County is going, but the whole region is going. I think that, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just the reality, so I'll start with that, that, you know, it, sometimes it takes things coming to a, a point of crisis before monies flow into communities to address those issues. Um, Seneca County has historically been left out of funding opportunities, particularly for, um, you know, the opioid epidemic. We were surrounded by much larger counties with uh, numbers that, uh, statistics that uh, really uh, 
were targeted as as you know criteria for funding um, and Seneca County really got left out a lot of those opportunities well in the last year after lots of advocacy on the part of our department with the state we've been very successful uh, we've brought in over three hundred thousand dollars in in the past year alone uh, specific to opioid uh, use disorder we are super excited about that we've hired um, peers uh, we um, are just purchased a vehicle we will be having uh, we are developing an opioid response team and we will be deploying uh, people into the community we have brought um, uh, one of the uh, team members from the um, high intensity uh, the drug traffic high intensity drug trafficking unit for uh, it's a federal agency will be coming into our county actually this Monday to present to uh, stakeholders throughout law enforcement um, county legislature our county manager mental health substance use uh, to uh, take a look at what it might look like to implement what's called OD map into our county uh, there's a pilot going on right now in Broome County that's been incredibly successful uh, essentially this is a, an in real time uh, reporting mechanism and mapping of overdoses in your community which would then allow for deployment of um, in community services through the use of peers and an opioid response team to individuals who have experienced an opioid crisis to uh, provide them with information, support, engage them in treatment, transport them to treatment, um, get them uh, engaged uh, in whatever way we can uh, to services. So um, that's really pretty exciting. Uh, so that's just kind of some of what I'm feeling really, really hopeful about. Um, in general, I think that stigma is being reduced people are talking about with less fear and shame about uh, the fact that mental illness and substance use disorder is touching every single one of our families um, there isn't anyone that I meet who can't who doesn't have a story and uh, people are telling their stories and you know uh, I think that that is fairly new and in a small rural county such as ours, maybe even more so. Um, so I'm very, very hopeful about, about services, about funds flowing into Seneca County to support all of these creative things that we're doing. Um, we have an incredible team of providers out of our mental health department that I, I couldn't be more proud to work with every single day and we have an incredible team of people in our community providers professionals who uh, you know are incredibly progressive in their approach to uh, community service it's it's an amazing thing um, inspiring really and you know when I came here just two years ago I didn't I had no idea. I mean, I'm a parent here. I have kids in school here. I'm a resident, obviously, of Seneca County, but um, I worked in Ontario County, so really, I didn't have a lot of focus. Um, 
or understanding of this community and what I've learned in the last two years I think would be very surprising to a lot of people about uh, how much uh, how much progressive energy there is towards service to our to our community so I, I'm super excited about that I see that momentum just continuing it's amazing how quickly things can change in just a couple of years Thanks for coming in, and uh, thanks for the time as always. Thanks, Josh. Hey, thanks for listening. That's all the time we have for today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside the FLX on FL1 Radio and, of course, on the FL1 app. Stay tuned to FingerLakes1.com for the latest headlines and breaking news. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, rate and review us. We'd love to hear from you, and it helps new listeners find the program. We will see you next time. Take care.